0: Hello and thank you for listening to the Rosewood Weekly Sermon Podcast. I'm Pastor Andy Lighty and today we are in week three of our sermon series entitled Spending Time with God. And today's message is the last of the foundational building blocks as we continue in this sermon series. So we spent some time talking about the lies of the devil that can corrupt the truth of God's created reality And last week, we talked about the flesh and its desires. Today, we're going to be putting it all together as we prepare to spend the next several weeks talking about spiritual practice. So our passage today comes from John chapter 4, verses 4 through 26. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from his journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For the Samaritans do not associate with the Jews." Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water that I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I don't get thirsty and have to keep coming back here to draw water. He told her, "'Go call on your husband and come back.' "'I have no husband,' she replied. "'Jesus said to her, "'You are right when you say you have no husband. "'The fact is, you have had five husbands, "'and the man you now have is not your husband. "'What you have just said is quite true. "'Sir,' the woman said, "'I can see that you are a prophet. "'Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain.' But you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth for they are the kind of worshiper the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah, called the Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Jesus tells the Samaritan woman, that there will be a time when all will worship God in spirit and truth. Now, we've been talking about spirit and truth for the past two weeks. When the Holy Spirit came upon the church on the day of Pentecost, these words of Jesus became fulfilled. Where before the people worshiped God by adherence to external rules within uh, drawn out boundaries of places, a temple, A mountain, we now worship God by the power of the Spirit that dwells within us. Jeremiah 31 33 says that in that day God will put his law in our minds and write it on our hearts. To worship in spirit and truth is to move from the external to the internal. Remember last week we talked about the duality of humanity we are flesh, we're spirit. The flesh does not know the truth and chases after its own desire. The Spirit knows God's truth and seeks the will of God. When we are first saved by coming to faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit of God gets to work. Now, with the power of God working in us, we can put the flesh to death and be led by the Spirit. But how do we participate in this process We do it through the Christian tradition of spiritual practice. Maybe you've heard the old Cherokee story about two wolves. A young boy came to his grandfather filled with anger at another boy who had done him some injustice. And the old grandfather said to his grandson, let me tell you a story. I, too, at times have felt a great hate for those who have taken so much with no sorrow for what they do. But hate wears you down, and hate does not hurt your enemy. Hate is like taking poison and wishing your enemy would die. I have struggled with these feelings many times. It's as if there's two wolves inside of me. One wolf is good and does no harm. He lives in harmony with all around him and does not take offense when no offense was intended. He will only fight when it is right to do so and in the right way. And the other wolf is full of anger. The littlest thing will set him into a fit of temper. He fights everyone, all the time, for no reason. He cannot think because his anger and his hate are so great. It's helpless anger because his anger will change nothing. Sometimes it's hard to live with these wolves inside of me because both of the wolves try to dominate me. The boy looked intently at his grandfather's eyes and asked, Which wolf will win, grandfather? And the grandfather smiled and said, The one that I feed. Spiritual practice is all about feeding our spirit and starving our flesh. In Galatians chapter 5, 24 and 25, Paul says this. He says that those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Paul says that we crucify the flesh. Now, there's no more brutal or visceral term that Paul could have used than this, and that was his intention. When it comes to those sinful thoughts and desires and actions that rise from our flesh, we don't want to coexist with it. We don't want to contain it. We want it dead. It's not part of who we are in our new life in Jesus. And sin management simply does not work although many Christians try this approach. Every time we give in to the flesh, we feed that animalistic part of us. And the more it grows, the more it takes control of your life. Peter writes about it this way, saying those who follow the corrupt desires of the flesh become like unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct, and like animals, they too will perish. Now we can see this play out in our own lives. We've all had those moments when we find ourselves almost on autopilot um, in a sin that has become regular for us. We're doing something we know we shouldn't even as we're doing it. And the spirit within you, because you are a Christian, says, why? Why are we doing this again? I thought we had agreed that this is negative, destructive behavior and yet you continue because in your indulgence of the flesh you have become that unreasoning animal in that moment. You become that creature of instinct. We were made for so much more than this way of living. The Holy Spirit empowers us to so much more so we crucify the desires of the flesh. We don't manage them. Instead, As Paul says, we keep in step with the Spirit. This is a refrain that Paul writes many times in his letters in in several different ways. So far, much of what we discussed is kind of basic psychology, but in this, Paul adds a new element. We don't fight the flesh with willpower, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God within us. Now, willpower is a wonderful thing willpower can help you to complete an assignment on time um, not to reach for that second cookie or to get up and exercise in the morning but when it comes to the deep hurts in our life our traumas our addictions our woundedness it simply is not up to the task our deep wounds and our self-defeating behaviors our sin kind of go hand in hand in many cases and it is rooted in pain that cannot be overcome by personal decision alone. Novelist and essayist Leslie Jameson said this about overcoming addiction in her own life. She said, I needed to believe in something stronger than my willpower. This willpower was a fine-tuned machine, fierce and humming, and it had done plenty of things. It gotten me straight A's. It got my papers written. It had gotten me through cross-country training runs, but when I applied it to my drinking, the only thing I felt was that I was turning my life into a small, joyless, clenched fist. The higher power that turned sobriety into more than deprivation was simply not me. We all need a helper. We need an ally in the fight to come alongside us and lend us power that we do not have. That power is the Spirit of God. How do we access this power? We access it via spiritual practices. Our willpower is useful because it can direct us to that source of power that does what it cannot In spiritual practices, we come in contact with a power beyond ourselves. It is a power that can truly change your life. It can and will overcome the flesh in those areas where your willpower has failed time after time, sometimes year after year. So next week, we start our deep dive into these practices of scripture reading, fasting, confession, and prayer the Spirit of God is ready and fully capable of breaking down every stronghold of sin in your life. Are you ready for it? Pray with me now. Lord, I pray you would move the Spirit more boldly in my life. I know that any sin can grieve and diminish the voice of the Spirit, and I pray against the temptation to sin. Help me crave your presence more than I crave sin. Help me to grow in the fruit of the Spirit, and so walk closer with you. I pray for guidance from your Spirit. Let your will and promises always be a meditation of my heart. In Jesus' name, amen.